This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. We're talking about Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. The, the fact of the matter is, because of our sinful hearts, conflict is inevitable. But what is not inevitable is whether those conflicts will be used to the glory of God or whether they will spiral into things that we don't want them to. And so our hope is that we can give you some foundational truths that help you in the midst of conflicts. Ken Sandy has these four Gs. The first is that peacemaking glorifies God. And then the second is this G of get the log out of your eye. Um, It's coming from the teaching of Jesus. When we attempt to get the speck out of somebody else's eye, we need to first get the log out of our own eye before that can be productive. And we've been talking about repentance the last couple of days and especially about examining our role in the conflict. We looked at using our tongues as a weapon, controlling others, breaking our word, failing to respect Authority, And we want to deal with the, the last of those today. And the next one is forgetting the golden rule. And Sandy says this, perhaps the most common cause of conflict is our failure to follow the golden rule. So why would he say that? What, what is behind all of that? Just treating others like you would want to be treated yourself. We... You know, basically, you know, the world has a different kind of rule. It's not the golden rule. It's what it, it is a tarnished rule that says do unto others before they do to you. And the idea with the golden rule that Scripture teaches, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This sums up God's word. And so you're asking yourself, am I treating somebody the way I want to be treated? Ultimately, that's really where you're the first question you have to ask yourself. But doesn't somebody else's behaviors or words or actions negate the golden rule? No. Alas, no. <laughs> that was a great setup, but no. <laughs> but isn't that how we, generally yeah, that is how we generally approach it? Right. Yeah, they're not worthy of being treated as I would treat myself yeah. because they've done X, Y, or Z. We, we tend to twist it and say, do unto others as they have done unto me instead yeah. of as we would yeah. want to be this treated. This is the eye for an eye, tooth for tooth that leaves everybody blind and in need of a dentist. Yeah. 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 And anytime we, I think we find ourselves saying, well, they deserve it, red flags should be going off. Right. Yeah. That right. all of a sudden you should say, wait, wait, wait what, what was that? And what they deserve, according to the biblical framework, is to be treated how I would want someone to be, to, to treat me. That's mm-hmm. what the expectation, the teaching of, of God's word is. And, and, and this is called the golden rule because of how, how important it really is. I mean, Jesus says this sums up the law and the prophets. And 
elsewhere he's asked what's the greatest commandment and he says to love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is the second and that second falls under this and the way he makes all that he requires and boils it down to this simple rule as far as our interaction with one another is profound and if we would just follow this simple rule do unto others as you would have them do unto uh, you yeah it's it would change yeah. a whole host of things First Corinthians ten twenty four says, "Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor." Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, you know, it, the Paul in talking about marriage, and he ta- husbands love your wives, and you know, and he and he talks about no one hates their own flesh. You know, we we do things to protect ourselves. You know, we should be doing something to protect our wives. We, you know, we should love them the same way we have our own self-interest at stake. Yeah, I think this this really turns that cultural priority of self-care on its head. Mm-hmm. And so if we, if we can take what the world would say is have self at the center of your mind and say, no, the call is to have others at the center of our mind, to mm-hmm. be thoughtful, that is to be full of thought for the needs and cares of another, to be careful, to be full of care for the needs and thoughts of another. That, that will help us avoid conflict um, mm-hmm. if we can take that posture and disposition. And the last one in this category of examining our role in a conflict is serving sinful desires. We've been here before um, when we looked at, at James 4. Severing, or not serving, sinful desires. Severing? Well, the, no, it's, in the book, oh, okay. it's serving. serving. Okay. In our notes, it's yeah. severing. Oh. We want, okay. We want to sever sinful desires <laughs> yeah, rather than sever serve them. them. Yeah. Yes. Okay. This and is what, what we should do. And this is really unmet desires that have gained control of our hearts. We all have idols that we have allowed to come into our own hearts, mm-hmm. whether that's improper desire for physical pleasure, pride and desire to always be right, love of money, love of material things, fear of man, good things that we want too much. And these really can, um, once these enter into our hearts, it really does create conflict with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really goes back to what Vinny was just talking about. When we make self the center of who we are, and then that self then pursues these sinful desires, these idols, what's going to be left in the wake are people. Yep. Our relationships, mm-hmm. because what we've done is we've prioritized ourselves and our longings above other people, and quite honestly, above God. Mm-hmm. But what we want to look at next is the seven A's of confession. So in repentance, the other day, Ryan made this distinction between repentance and confession, and confession is this component um, of repentance. And Sandy gives us seven A's to help us in this category. And the first is address everyone involved. Um, go ahead and just unpack can I, that. Can, let's just read off the seven A's because we won't get them to them all today. Okay, go but ahead. Address everyone involved. Avoid if, but, and maybe. Admit specifically. Acknowledge the hurt. Accept the consequences. Alter your behavior. And ask for forgiveness. And today and tomorrow, we'll go through these seven. And so number one is address everyone involved. I think this is important. I mean, so it goes back to the beginning of the process, identifying what kind of conflict you're having, and then just as equally as important, identifying who that conflict is with. And when you're, when you're ready after examining yourself to, to confess what you've done, speaking 
you, you want to leave anyone out of the conflict that's been involved in it, especially if you've fallen into maybe one of the ditches of slander where you, you've opened up the conflict to other people and then maybe mm-hmm. they're uh, secondary people. But you, So you fix the primary issue with the individual, but there are other people you create a conflict with through your slander. Mm-hmm. You need to go and address them too because otherwise they have an open wound that's not closed while you and maybe the primary conflict person have moved on. They're still hurting. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and Sandy will point out what we pointed out the other day is, you know, your first address is to God and because all sin offends him. And this is what you pointed out, Ryan, the other day when you brought us to Psalm 51 where David is confessing his sin and he says, against you and you only have I sinned. You know, ultimately, ultimately our sin is, uh, you know, it, it might be directed toward an individual, but because what God requires of us, it is against Him. It is it is sinning against Him with uh, with our fist in the air toward Him. So we dress Him first, and then then we go down through that That's list, great. Yep. Mm-hmm. down through that list. And sometimes we we get into the mindset. The rule of thumb is that the confession should address everyone involved, and the confession should be as broad as the offense. Yeah, yep. if it's private. Take it private. If you've done it publicly, then you, you're going to make a you know you're going to make a public confession because you've actually included others in that in the scope of how you've wronged them. So, I as a teacher, I used to have these these circular conversations with parents that their young person had committed a public offense, and and I would say to those parents, your child did this in a public venue in a public way, and his confession needs to match the extent of the offense. Mm -hmm. And they would say, you just want to shame him. I'm like, no, this is not about shame. This is about owning. If he made an error that only was about him and me, naturally the, uh, the confession would only be to me. But your child decided to do this in a very public way. And did a lot of damage in a public venue. And I, I said they wanted public attention in their offense. They need to own it in the same way that they they did the offense. And I tell you what, I felt like there was a ton of parents that did a lot of harm to their kids by shielding them, by protecting them, by excusing them and saying, yes, I understand that they did this publicly, but I want it to be kept private. Mm-hmm. And – I oftentimes lost those conversations, but I really do believe that the the general biblical uh, teaching is that the extent of your offense determines the extent of your confession. Mm -hmm. And if you want to do something publicly, then you you need to own it publicly. Do you think overall the church suffers from having a, a, a practice of confession? I mean, is that some of our Protestantism where we've we've thrown out some baby with the bathwater moving away from the practice of confession that has rites and rituals in the Catholic Church? Have we lost some of that in the know-how? Because that, mm. I run into that scenario all the time where, man, there, there's just such a, a hiddenness and a privacy we want when it comes to confession, whether it's as deep as sin or even just small things like weaknesses. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? I, you know, I think that you know we we talked about this when we talked about uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book Life Together. Yeah. You know, in the in the church, it ought to be a safe place 
that mm-hmm. we are sinners. Yeah. You know, we can confess our sins. We stand next to another sinner. We, you know, we recognize, um, you know, the the tendencies that we have. Shouldn't I, be surprising I, either. Yeah, it shouldn't be surprising. I mean, you know, as as pastors, we are not. Sin doesn't surprise us. Right. You know, we've heard it in that we've we've actually heard private confessions that are, you know, gross, and we we all don't sin in the same way. We all have a sin that we're easily disposed to, um, but we all don't all sin the same way. So it might be surprising that this person um, might confess a, 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 the nature of a sin that you know doesn't you know we are not drawn to. But I do think that you. Know, the practice of actually making, you know, reading God's law out in church, you know, reading the Ten Commandments, reading the imperative, and then having a time of a prayer of confession, whether you're doing it as a silent prayer or public uh, confession before God, I think it's an element of worship that if we don't do that, it makes it even more difficult for us to recognize ourselves as sinners. Mm-hmm. And he has this great line, whatever the case, your confession should reach as far as your offense. Right. And that's just mm-hmm. a wonderful rule of thumb. I mean, even though it, it it's, can be painful and awkward and uncomfortable, um, I had a situation about a year and a half ago where I responded in anger, in unrighteous anger, in an elder and deacon meeting. Hmm. My anger was directed to a individual but that doesn't mean that all those present were affected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in my repentance, in my confession, I needed to go to the individual and confess, but I also had to ask for forgiveness for all of the men that were, were present because my offense was not just individual. It also happened in a setting where all of them were involved. And even though it's hard, it still is right. But we'll come back to the seven A's of confession tomorrow. That was number one, address everyone involved, and we will see you then. 